Hey, everybody, welcome to the Big Ticket Variety and iHeart's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Today, I've got the very funny man, Cedric the Entertainer. But first, just a note about programming. I spoke to Cedric just before the coronavirus shut down practically all of Hollywood. I have a few more interviews coming up that were recorded at about the same time, and my plan right now is to continue the podcast. But instead of in-person interviews, they'll be done over the phone. While talk about the coronavirus is inevitable in the weeks and maybe even months to come, I hope the big ticket might also offer you a break from the hard news of the day. I don't know about you, but there are moments when I just don't want to be talking or maybe even thinking about the scary times we live in. With that in mind, I'll be right back with Cedric the Entertainer. Welcome back to the Big Ticket. Here's Cedric the Entertainer. How are you? Well, that was kind of weird. <laughs> it was like, this is good? All right. All good. Oh, okay. man, this sounds cool. How are you? I'm good, brother. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Good, man. Dealing with a crazy world. Oh, the world is going crazy right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, everybody's like, don't touch anything. Don't don't hug anyone. No. it's <laughs> Don't go to the game. And then you talk to one person, they think, oh, they're exaggerating. Yeah. And you talk to another person, they're like, no, it's worse oh, right. than it is. It's, it's, it's terrible. It's like, yeah, I'm scared to go to Starbucks. No, yeah. it's weird. How, how are you guys dealing with it on set? Uh, we haven't really talked about it much. Yeah. Everybody's just like, you know, we, we find that if someone is sick, we, you know, we want you to basically inform, you know, if you feel like you got a cold or flu. And we just try to make sure that we, you know, Respect that. Tell people that, all right, just go home. Just not try to get everybody sick at this point. Um, So let's talk about the neighborhood. Let's talk about the first script you read for the neighborhood, but then you came in and you're like, you know what? This isn't as authentic as you think it is. Yeah, you know, it was was tough. You know, it was one of those things, too, because I I had a deal to develop with CBS, and so I developed three different shows. And, of course, when you develop yourself, you're very, uh, you know, I'm into it. Right. I'm very, I want these to work. And they passed on all of them, and they had this idea, and they really liked this idea that they had already bought and thought it would be a, a no-brainer for me. And I guess what I, you know, what I did, what I did like is that it was a unique, it was a world that everybody kind of knew what was going on, right. which was this idea of gentrification and, you know, neighborhoods, you know, people coming back and moving back into the cities and and that's all around the country. So, you know, that to be true. And so um, it was just rough to read because it was written from uh, the writer's perspective. And, you know, so all the virtues and all the kind of point of view came from the white guy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know, it's, it's kind of, again, it's a, it's a little bit of the privilege that we're talking about mm-hmm. when you move into a black neighborhood, but everything that you, you're thinking is about the way you see it. Right. I was like, how could that be? Like, you're moving into the whole black neighborhood. It's a whole black neighborhood. <laughs> it's not about you. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're the one with all the point of view. It's like, no. So, so it took a time because it was Jim's truth. It took some time uh, and several meetings for us to kind of find our way to, mm. you know, being able to tell that story and understanding like, yo, I think that, you know, Calvin has to have, you know, this this kind of uh, this point of view where he is in charge of this neighborhood. He's in command. And this is a wrench in that. 
And, you know, the idea that you are a person that's coming in with good spirit and a good heart really doesn't matter because I see you only as the the this catalyst that's going to change everything in a matter. And that's the only way I see you. Right. And so until I can get to know you, I won't be able to have another point of view. So we write it from that point of view. And now we got a show. And so. Mm. It, we 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 were you know it made for us to have become really great partners on, as executive producing partners on this show, and and I, I thought led to the success of the first season. Uh, you know, it was one of those things that I, I always think about when the first episode aired. How uh, white men were really upset with me. They did not like Calvin being. They, he was racist, and I was like, really, you know, really, really great, you know. So. But I think that, again, that button, that energy, whenever there's something that you can have a, um, you know, a definitive opinion about, you can you can decide that uh, you just, you know, you, you, you disagree with it. Mm-hmm. These are, in most cases, the reason why we watch and, and are attracted to anything because it, it provokes us to either want to have the discussion about it or, or to be able to express our opinion in opposition. Mm-hmm. And so that is, uh, I think that was one of the, you know, really great things about the show. And of course, uh, just dynamic actors and actresses being a part of it. And the writing is strong and creative. And, and so uh, I've just become very happy with what we're doing. And, you know, you just kind of fight, to, especially in the old, this format, the multicam mm-hmm. comedy format. So is Calvin a little bit of like an Archie Bunker? Definitely. Yeah. You know, definitely. I think, you know, you think about the modern day, you know, archetype or prototype of this kind of very opinionated man, um, patriarch, you know, patriarch kind of attitude, uh, you know, definitive about everything, <laughs> you know, and then uh, has to learn a great lesson, you know, and learn a great lesson with the you know, with this kind of humbled uh uh, a humorous uh, humbling that that makes everybody be able to accept it. Because mm-hmm. whenever you can see someone get a little pie in their face, but they take it with a degree of grace, right? And you know, and it's or they don't they, even yeah. notice that they're getting the pie yeah, in the face. Yeah, <laughs> even though they're not giving it up too much, it's that thing that allows all of us to know that you know when we're wrong, it's okay to say we're wrong, and right. yet. And yet, uh, you know, not uh, not have to have to really admit it. <laughs> so when you when you're making a sitcom like this, obviously, you know, like you said, it feels like old fashioned television. And one of the things that happens these days is like you get two episodes, boom, the ratings aren't good. Goodbye. Wow. How nervous do you get? Like you're you're spending all this time, and you know that the executives are sitting there and they're looking at the minute by minute. Where you got to make sure they give you the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's one of those things that, you know, and we do live in a time with so much television, so many choices for um, for the consumer to watch TV right. in different places right. or, or not even on TV anymore. Yep. Like, so uh, I think that, you know, that is the biggest thing that you worry about always. And I, I'm not one to even really understand the numbers, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's a producer will get these reports every week. You did a 9.9 <laughs> last night, guy. We got a 63 share. You're like, oh, okay. God, wow. 
Is that good? Right. Until yeah. it's bad news, that's fine. Yeah, exactly. So all news, until somebody comes to me with the gloom, like, oh right. my God. I'll be like, what happened? You know, so. Right. Uh, but I do think that, you know, you also, um, in in the spirit that, you know, we're on a Monday night and we're up against so many live television shows, you know, The Voice and, you know, Dancing with the Stars and all these kind of, um, you know, big more, you know, even Monday night football at a time. We just find ourselves uh, in a space where people have these choices where they got to watch something that's going to only happen right now mm-hmm. and they can kind of, uh, you know, record our show and watch it at another right. time. And so um, I started to have a little more confidence as that. And then as each week grew, mm-hmm. we started to have this kind of, you know, diehard set audience. And, you know, of course, it's great now that you can communicate with people on social media. And so you can engage almost personally with yeah. an audience, with a fan base. And and so that started to be something where we saw, uh, you know, uh, you know, consistency and then a little bit of growth and then consistency at that and then a little bit of growth. And you're like, all right, well, cool. How 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 far how how do you decide, you know, especially like a show like this, like you said, it it is dealing with social issues in a humorous way. But how do you how do you decide, like, how far to push it? You know, there'll be people who sit here like, why don't make it so political? Anything is political these days. Yeah. How do you know, okay, we shouldn't go over that line or this is where we should stop? Well, you know, I mean, one of the things that we tried to, Jim and I talked about pretty early on, was not ever trying to uh, be right about whatever the subject matter Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes we will, you know, we'll bring up something that we like, all right, cool, this is probably going to be a pretty tough, you know, touchy subject matter. And how do we kind of, like have a real conversation and not necessarily try to preach right. and then have this answer, right? Mm-hmm. Like to where we go, hey, we're the guys, we're the authorities on all things. Right. So so I think that that's usually the 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 kind of uh, template that we use to, to kind of pull off to where we like, all right, cool, we can push up to the line, we can right. find subject and we can say it. And then, you know, we can... We can call you a racist. We can say whatever we want, right. and then we gonna we're gonna we're gonna pull it down to where the question really is yours. Like mm-hmm. the viewer is more the answer or the where you what you decide to say afterwards. Is, but here on this show, we're gonna land in a place to where we can do another show. Right. We won't be so far apart <laughs> from each other. Where he's like, "Yo, how you gonna come back from that one?" You know. <laughs> so let's talk about comedy and social commentary and how has comedy changed. This is a big question. But how has it changed from when you first started? How much more careful do you have to be these days? How do you, you know, how do you how do you do it without censoring yourself, but also having to censor because it's different times? It is. I mean, it's one of these things that you're in a constant battle of. I was just talking, you know, about how, you know, I really um, appreciate Dave Chappelle these days in the sense that he no longer is beholding to a network or corporations. Mm-hmm. And so he's become this, you know, extremely irreverent and unique comedian. He's always been a great comedian, but I think, in, you know, in light of like not needing to be on television anymore, right. like not needing to, uh, you know, I mean, other than Netflix, who's again, that's their whole brand is let you be free to be who right. you want to be. Uh, he's just able to just live that life and then make money doing it mm-hmm. and make a lot of money doing it. So, 
Now, you know, so for me, you know, it is one of those things because I love being a TV star. I love being on TBS. I love having a family kind of brand. Mm-hmm. Yet, you know, when I'm doing stand-up, it's, which I still do, you have to be very careful on language, on tone, right. on uh, what's, you know, over the line. And, and I, I've, you know, very early on, I tried not to worry about that too much. My mm-hmm. mother was a school teacher and... I remember she came to my show one time and she said, do you have to curse that much on stage? Why are you using those words like that? You know better, right? I, you, I was I was a grown man. I was like, you know, like, yeah. But at the moment, in my mind, I was 14. But I was probably, I was probably, I was probably about 26, 27, though. And, and, you know, I was like, okay, mom, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to change it. And then... Uh, like a couple of days later, I went back and I said, Mom, you know, I got what you said. So if if uh, if I don't have to use it, I won't. But if I need to use it, I will. And I'm mm-hmm. just going to leave it at that. Like, I'm not going to not buy into this. I don't curse or I'm this clean comedian because certain jokes just they just need it. They just mm-hmm. need that word. And so <laughs> and sometimes, you know, whenever you're talking about a subject matter that could be right up against the line, you I I look at it that same way. I got to decide like should I say it or mm-hmm. is it a way for me not to say it and still get it across? Right. And so that's usually how I do it to this day now. It's just one of these things where my mother's kind of uh, <laughs> generator is right there. That, 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 that like, okay, is, <laughs> is it necessary right. to say this thing about a, a culture or a person or anything? Mm-hmm. Uh, did, or, or can I say that and not mean it that way and mean it this way? So. Mm-hmm. It's tough, but it does because it, it keeps the freedom. Like you know, and a lot of times a joke will just come out of you very naturally. You know, mm-hmm. and if it comes out of you naturally and it feels the right way to say it, then that's another thing that I kind of count on as well. Like if I'm just like literally and I'm talking and it's just a good flow right. and it's like boom and you're like, yo, no, you didn't say that. <laughs> you be like, yeah, I did. Like, Tell me an example recently where something came out of your mouth on stage and you're like, you know what? That did not land because it just oh. was not the right time. Oh, yes. Well, you know, there's uh let me think. This was a matter of fact, this was uh uh this was uh this was a couple of weeks. This was some Trump stuff. It was mm-hmm. it, it was it was a Trump stuff and I was like he was going on and on about yeah, I thought it was hilarious, but it was wrong. But but it was going. He was going on and on about you know the immigration thing and stopping people from coming into the country. And I was like, yeah, you cool with that? You like stopping all these you know Latin dudes from coming in into the country? Every to, all up to the moment that uh, they fuck up your tea time. Because because they not cutting the grass and all that <laughs> shit and I was like yo and it was like oh like well right. is it too is it that they only do yard work what are you saying right. said and at the moment the the crowd was like I got it but is that what you're saying mm-hmm. and I was like well in California that's a funny joke because like it's more customary right. that that's where we see mm. our Latino workers or whatever. But it was a moment where it definitely kind of like, yeah, maybe not. He's like, yeah, so what else is going on? <laughs> Shit is crazy out there. Now I'm going to take a short break. When we return, Cedric recalls the horrifying time a heckler called him the N-word. 
Plus, he talks about comedy in the time of Trump and why he's been refraining from telling too many jokes about the president. It's all coming up after the break. I'm Alec Baldwin. Listen to my podcast, Here's the Thing, on iHeartRadio. It's my chance to talk with artists, policymakers, and performers, like the actress Kristen Bell. And the moment I said, you know what, I have a thing, and it's a quirky, weird, fun thing that can be snarky, and I love doing it, I do it pretty well, why not lean into it? And that is when I felt like I started becoming happier. Music legend Mick Fleetwood. Fleetwood Mac was always about change, so that you were accepted for who you were. Former governor of Vermont, Howard Dean. I took the call in this quavering voice and the other end of the phone says, I regret to inform you that the governor has died of a heart attack and you're the governor. <laughs> that was the end of my medical practice. And best-selling author Isabel Wilkerson. People would come up to me of all different backgrounds and would say to me, I had no idea that this happened in our country. If you like listening as much as I like talking with interesting people, go to heresthething.org and subscribe now on the iHeart app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's more of Cedric the Entertainer. So how much comedy has this presidency given you? Oh. And how do, how do you, let me, let me rephrase that. Like, how do you, because there's probably a lot of easy shots to take. Yeah. And you don't, you know, you don't want to be a lazy comedian where like it's yeah, just exactly. easy to be like, oh, he's orange. Ha ha ha. Yeah, exactly. Like how do you sort of. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it is. And then, you know, like whenever you're like in, a, you know, in comedy and you're doing shows, usually it's going to be a few other comedians on stage. And, you know, at this stage in my career, more likely I'm going last or close right. to last. And so you already know that people have beat Trump to death by this time. Right. Like at any given, on any given night, it's a. 50 million Trump jokes. And so, you know, I, you know, I started to stay away from it. You had things that worked for you and things that you wanted to say. And if, if, if it, again, if it's something that I wanted to say that felt like it was political or it was a very direct statement that felt very personal to me, mm -hmm. that's the only time I would really kind of do it. Other than that, I'd be like, ah, I'm just going to go the other way, man. Right. Like, you know, it's just because I like already know. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I just know like everybody killed them. So it's right. like, what are you going to do? You know? And I saw you, uh, you came out uh, supporting Biden. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about You know, that. that was interesting. You know, the thing about. Who you were you know, supporting before? You know, it, it was, it was, I, I, and I said that on my, on my, uh, on my IG was that, you know, the, these candidates, it was just all over the place and, and mm -hmm. it still feels very much like that. We realize that we're in this kind of very polarizing, super polarizing political environment where, uh, I mean, not even, you know, First, you know, like, you know, at any time it's, you know, it's us against Trump. And if you're a Trump, you, you, you know, you're completely against the rest of the world. And, right. you know, if you're a Trumper, then that's what they say. You, you're totally anti everybody else. And I'm, you know, and again, I never really felt like people really live on those hard lines. I mean, mm -hmm. you can have a, a political preference and then on certain things you may believe that and on others you don't. Right. Like, you know, like, uh, you know, so, but. I think, you know, when I was thinking, the, you know, as we were just really getting close to it, you know, uh, you know, it was a lot that I liked about, you know, many of the candidates, uh, you know, that 
but I felt like Bloomberg got in too late. I felt like, you know, and again, that his stop and frisk issue in New York was one that he tried to explain uh, away. But it was definitely very, very hard on so many you know, people of color and that it was just, you know, it was insensitive at the time. And then for him to recognize it now is just just as insensitive right. in a way it's like oh now I can see that was a mistake to just throw anybody that I saw randomly walking down the street and decide like oh pull them over and check them like dude what right. like I'm, just, I'm not doing anything right now mm-hmm. so um, and then you know but you know again you put that on you know you put that on the opposite of him being a true entrepreneur and a guy who has did a lot of things who has built other, other issues and and you know and really defined himself as a individual, you go like, yo, that, those are some of the qualities that we need to go against, you know, this candidate right now. Uh, Bernie, uh, same thing, you know, he, it's a lot of young people who um, ride with Bernie and mainly because he feels, uh, even though he's this 78 year old man, somehow young people feel like he's their guy. Like mm-hmm. I don't, and, uh, and so, but again, a lot of the socialists, uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, policies and things that I feel were going to be way too hard for, uh, the other side to switch to. And mm-hmm. if you try to go from that thing to this thing, <laughs> you're definitely going to lose like, right. you know, and so the Biden, it, Biden, uh, again, he, he's a, he's a, you know, a consummate politician. He's been around a long time. He's been through a lot of, lot of, lot of stuff throughout the, the America's history, being in on many different sides of many different issues. Uh, but he's one that I believe those, those relationships are very important in, mm-hmm. in the idea of governing of, of who, you know, and how you can get things done and how you have this ability. I'm a little concerned again with age, with these guys, because it's just moments where I feel like Biden is very much like a grandfather that's saying things that he thought he said, but he didn't say. And then he's like, so it's moments when he's like, huh? What do you think about that, huh? Do you feel um, having the platform that you have, that you have a responsibility to either get involved, voice your opinion? Well, yeah, I do. I, I take and I take my time doing it because it's one of those things that. It is again now these days as a comedian, I don't really want to get caught on one side or the other of it because like at the end of the day, you know, I kind of just feel like in the world of big politics, it's so much trickery and nonsense going on that, you know, when you start standing on all these causes and, you know, mm-hmm. believing in a human being, uh, you know, I, I had this big thing about church when, you know, at one time with my, with my mom over this, because I was like, you know, I mean, I, I, I believe I'm a spiritual person, but I can't stand on the idea that one thing is right. And mm. the other thing is completely wrong. So either I'm going to do this and I'm going to hell or that. And right. you see so much other carnage going on in the world. And you're like, that dude is one of the biggest pastors. He's worse than I am. You know, right. like so. So I kind of feel that way about, you know, again, about, you know, politicians and, you know, and, and, and the running of the government, you know, is that, you know, uh, so I, I want to be careful about using my 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 platform, but I do want to encourage people to just be engaged for sure. Get out and vote, be involved, learn, read, pick a pick pick a side though, one mm-hmm. way or the other. Pick a side, 
and go for that. But, uh, you know, I never, you know, I never even had those big fallouts. I remember like early on in Trump's candidacy, people had real falling outs with friends. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I got a great friend who's a Trump dude. And he still to this day makes me laugh a lot. But he's a Trump guy. Like, and I remember like I had friends like, oh, man, how you even hang out with that dude? I'm like, bruh. Like, if, if we talked about Trump the whole time we was together, that'd be one thing. But right. he's been my friend beforehand. I didn't even know he was a Trump dude until, you know, this thing came out. Right. And he is who he is. Like, you know, and at the end of the day, we move it along, you know. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that I have to draw the end out. And, I, and I, those are the things I'm more concerned with is how we become such a place to where, uh, people can't tolerate any other thing than w- anybody that's on your right. side in this country. So what politician would you love to see campaigning in the neighborhood? Oh, on the show. On, on the show? show? Oh, come yeah. on, Barack, man. Come on, man. That's an easy call, man. <laughs> I know, that was easy. Yeah, like, that'd be great. But, uh, but you know, I did, I do love that idea. You know, we, we on this, uh, we got an episode where uh, Dave is running for city council. And it'd be fun, even for me. You know, I had an opportunity to meet Kamala uh, Harris would be fun. I, you know, I'm a, I, I, it's something about Elizabeth Warren. I like as a, as a, as a feisty campaigner, you know, yeah. like I wasn't real sure if she was going to be, you know, really the right president, but she is tough as nails and, and, yeah. and, and you got to just love that. Like she, she seems like the sweet little lady with a sweater on and <laughs> going to make some tea and bring up, but she like, she is gangster with it. So, <laughs> Uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, somebody like that would be fun to have on this TV show, like just to have them show right. up in this environment. And now I have to ask you, Kings of Comedy. Yeah, man. When are we going to see? When is it going to happen? You know, you know, it's all the time. Someone sits down with you, but it it seems like it may be actually getting a little closer. It was really? funny, is only because I saw Steve Harvey at, at at Super Bowl, and Steve has probably been the main reason because he actually retired from stand up. Right. So he was like, "Look, I've got 157 jobs, said, and uh, I'm just not going to do it." So, mm-hmm. um, and of course, uh, but he hosted the NFL Honors, and he had a blast, and he. He, you know, he wrote a stand-up set and he had a blast. And so he was like, man, I'm feeling good. And I was like, <laughs> well, let's do the Kings, you know? Like, so, so you know, there's some talks of, you know, possibly doing a very limited run for the fun of it, doing like a 12-city run. That's what you get. Well, uh, like a combo, Kings yeah. and Queens of comedy. I don't know. You know, we did that early on. Yeah. And again, I don't know who, I mean, nowadays, I don't know who falls into that category. It's a lot of great comedians out there but again and then the big question always for us is who replaces bernie or what do you do with that and that spot you know right. and so that's always been another question for us we was like we don't replace bernie no. we just kind of like we you do honor yeah we honor him doing the show and we just keep it rocking so um but i mean of the original queens of comedy i don't know if you you know, you bring the Moniques and Samoas back out and all that stuff in the mm-hmm. same environment. You know, do you add Tiffany Haddish's of the world and, and of course, Wanda Sykes and people that, uh, you know, I find amazing comedians. But uh, uh, who knows? But, you know, we'll, we're going to we got to just try to get these guys to one <laughs> little run. I mean, me and DL, we're constantly on tour together. We still do several tour right. dates uh, together. And so we just trying to get Steve to rock out and then we can like, all right, cool, let's do this. Right. 
And now uh, a couple of fun questions. Your first audition you ever went on. Oh, what was it for? Man, my first audition, I think it was for, seemed like it was for a sitcom. And I'm going to go with, uh, <laughs> maybe it was Mr. Cooper. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I went to play a role on Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Uh-huh. And I was, yeah, I was horrible, like right off the top. <laughs> And you knew you were like, horrible. yeah, just you know. But I, in my before I was going in, I just knew I was going to kill it, right? Right. But when you get in there, you just saying the lines bad, and you just walk out and just leave the leave the sides. <laughs> and what's one TV show you could watch over and over again? It's never going to bore you. Oh, The Wire. Yeah, why is the, that? The Wire, man, because I've watched it over and over again, and is it, you know, it was one of these things that I think you know in the in the world of HBO as they started to grow and really started to um, kind of define their brand. This show captured a grittiness. Me coming from St. Louis, that Baltimore energy felt like all the things that I grew up on because right. it was uh, where the the street guys and the, and the neighborhood guys were really our biggest stars. We had baseball players at St. Louis, but we never had a basketball team. So we didn't have young black you know, kids with money, you would mm-hmm. see. And baseball players were always kind of kept separately. And then the football team went in and out. Right. We never really saw that. So it was, you know, especially in my my era of living in St. Louis, it was the baseball team. So we had guys like Ozzie Smith who were, you know, these iconic figures. Mm-hmm. And then the, the street guys. Right. And that's who you knew, and especially in the world of comedy, because these were the, you know, these were the guys that have the nightclubs and hire you to come and do a set at my club. And, you know, and they pay you like some crazy amount of money to be at the, you know, at a nightclub yeah. on a Wednesday night. And you're like, oh, this crazy. But <laughs> you hanging out with all the gangsters and stuff. And so that show just really kind of captured that to me. And I thought the writing was really special in the way, in the sense that each season they were willing to kind of like go into the school system. And this time we're going to go into the, what the mayor's office looks like. And it just all felt very authentic to something that I knew. And I thought they just captured it. And what was the worst heckler you've ever had? Oh man. Well, the rudest one I had was in Little Rock, Arkansas, and you know, and he used the N word, and it was no. just one of those things where you know I was I was I was coming back, uh, I was traveling, doing a little run. I came up from Dallas and I stopped in Little Rock to perform at this club, and I had like a like a like a two night set, and mm-hmm. you know. I was performing and this dude just was like one, he wouldn't stop. We started going back and forth. It was fun. We was getting things. And then he just went there with the whole N word thing. And then, you know, I'm expecting the manager just, you know, go out there and say something to him and, you know, shut it down. And they don't. And then, you know, then the guy threatens me even more. And it just kind of got like to a whole thing to where, and I'm like, you know, and again, I'm I'm out there by myself at these right. times. I don't have an entourage or anything <clears throat> during this period of my career. So, you know, you know, I go back, I get into it with the manager, and uh, we argue and over, and he just pays me for like uh, my one day and let me go and just act like you know, it's like, hey, I can't do nothing about that. This is this is Arkansas, man. That's basically what he said. Have you played Arkansas again? Yeah, I've said. been back since then, man. <laughs> but yeah, I went, I went back since then. But yeah, that was uh, that was probably my worst one. And then uh, and and I kind of remember uh, 
I remember one the guy like was just up in the balcony and we just kind of we just kind of went back and forth for a while and that was that ended up being a fun one like right. I was in like South Carolina somewhere and we just went back and forth for a while and then just finally it just got to a point where it was like okay bro you're <laughs> you're not getting paid to be on this show so enough of you already and I'm not gonna pay you yeah no I'm not giving you half of my this. money I think right. that's what I said too I don't know what you do you made my show really good but I'm not giving you half my money I know that and it's like that was it. Cedric, thank you so much. All right, I appreciate it, man. This is good. That was Cedric the Entertainer. Thanks for listening to The Big Ticket. I'll be back next week with a new episode. Until then, remember to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin and check out Variety.com for all your entertainment news. Stay safe out there, and I'll see you next time.